Hello, I'm your host Ian Gibbs and welcome to the Learnability Podcast. Learning a new language often requires both time and money. But it seems that too often, when we have a lot of one of those, we don't have so much of the other. So our guest today is someone who has helped solve that problem for thousands of people by creating the opportunity to earn while they learn by finding them job placements abroad. And she's become so good at it that she's created her own company, Learn, Work, Explore. So can we have a big round of applause for Alithia Afonso. Welcome, Alithia. Thank you so much, Ian, for having me. The reason why I've invited you here is because you work in a, a fairly unique sector of the educational environment. You have your own company called Learn, Work, Explore. And, well, rather than me talk about it, could you give us a very short explanation about what Learn, Work, Explore does? Well, um, for me, when I first came to Spain, I came to study Spanish. And um, I was really surprised by the high level of unemployment amongst youth in Spain and at the moment it's right up there alongside or ahead of Greece in Europe. So I was really absolutely gobsmacked that young people in the prime of their life um, are actually sitting at home twiddling their thumbs depending on their parents um, and really not really enjoying life because for me your 20s is really the best years of your life and you should be enjoying those years to the maximum. So I really kind of thought, well, what do, what can I do to help this situation? And I just figured, well, I have a lot of contacts in England. I know how England works. So before Brexit, it was very easy for me to set up programs where I could send young people to work um, to improve their level of English because I would do spot checks like just walk along the road and pretend I was some giri and ask people directions and the young people were always uh uh uh," (laughs) you know and they seemed to be having a bit of difficulty to to speak in English so I could see that there was a massive problem within the Spanish educational system when it came to teaching Spanish because I suppose the Spanish government wanted Spanish teachers to teach in the educational system. But what was happening with the English was that maybe there was a lot of Spanish teachers who didn't feel confident speaking English. And if they don't feel confident speaking English, then there's no way that the students are going to feel confident speaking English. So I identified a problem in the sense that a lot of young people are coming out of the educational system with fantastic knowledge of grammar, uh, fantastic comprehension. Um, Many times I would ask them, what's your level of English? And they would say, I have written English. (laughs) And I was like, but is this what, some kind of ancient Greek we're talking about here? So um, I really did feel that, you know, I wanted to give these young people a platform where they could practice their level of English. 
but I was aware that a lot of young Spanish people don't have money or they they don't have the funds to just go to the United Kingdom or Ireland and, and study a long course of English and improve uh, their English in an area where obviously everybody around them is speaking the language. So for that reason, I thought, well, if I could set up work programs, I can send them to work. They would be using the English. They'll be practicing the English. And, you know, obviously, if your boss is telling you, giving you instructions, telling you to do something, then there isn't a better way for you to learn. It's a kind of sink or swim experience, which all of them swim and swim very well. And uh, I could see that the progress with the candidates I was sending on these programs with their spoken English was absolutely astronomical. And I really felt that it was a fantastic way for them to get rid of the fear, get rid of the embarrassment and actually find that confidence to really to get that level of fluency speaking English. When you say that the difference was astronomical, can you think of any particular example that you could share? Well, I mean, the other thing that I was learning Spanish in England, I did GCSE Spanish, and I thought to myself, my God, if I've got to sit here and learn Spanish like this, I will never learn it. So that was when I started saving up my money to go to Salamanca to learn Spanish, because I know what I am like. And I imagine that a lot of people are the same like me. I'm so practical. I mean, I love art. I like to do things. I like to, you know, I'm all about doing. I'm very, uh, okay, I'm okay with theory if I have to be with theory. But to be honest, if I could choose the way that I learn best, it's doing things. I like to do. And I feel that a lot of people are not that dissimilar to me. So that was my reason for like, I've got to get these people onto British soil or Irish soil or American soil, any soil where that language is spoken, because to sit down day after day, hour after hour, you know, learning that that theoretical way, a language, for me, a language is something that needs to be lived, needs to be enjoyed. I mean, there's nothing more hilarious than uh, when I came to learn uh, Spanish and we know all the jokes, you know, with us English speakers, when we learn Spanish, we have so many problems with masculine, feminine, we have so many problems with subjunctive, silly little things like, oh, uh, I would say, oh, está caliente, sabes? And, uh, oh no, I tenía que decir, hace calor. But these kind of mistakes that we make are all part of the enjoyment of learning a language. And uh, I think we've, we've had a curse of knowledge moment there, Alicia, because you know what you just said in Spanish and I know what you just said in Spanish. So we both know why that's funny. But mm. if one of our listeners doesn't know Spanish, could you just explain why that, what that misunderstanding is and why it's, <laughs> okay. why it's interesting? <laughs> well, I mean, an English person would come into a room and say, oh, it's really warm in here, which would be, está caliente. But in, in Spanish, caliente means horny. <laughs> so uh, for an English person, they come into the room, they have to say, hace calor. Uh, 
it is hot in Spanish, but to an English speaker, they make this mistake and everybody, you know, it, it's a very embarrassing mistake. And I can give you a lot more examples of this that are a lot worse. Absolutely. I, one of my favourite ones, which makes me smile, is about my dearly departed father, who made a great effort to learn Spanish when I moved out to Spain. And a key moment was when he went shopping with my wife to the supermarket and he wanted to buy some strawberries. <laughs> and he was very keen on this idea of interacting with the natives. Yeah. And so he, he was wandering around the, the supermarket with, with the wife, because my wife is Spanish. And he said to her, look, I'm, I'm just going to go off and see if I can find where the strawberries are. So she watched him sort of wander down the aisle and he, he was looking around and he, he found, you know, one of the, the shop assistants there who was this young girl. And he asked her a question and she looked at him as if he'd really just insulted her. And she shook <laughs> her head, stood back and sort of waved her hands and said, no, 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 no. And so he, he shrugged. And, and wandered back to the wife, and and she was there. She, she found this, you know, a little bit strange. She said, "What? What did you say?" She says, "Well, I asked her where the strawberries were," and he said, well, "She said, but what did you actually say?" And he said, "Estoy buscando frescas," <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which for, for the people. Who, who are listening who, who don't understand Spanish. Um, a fresca is, is like a, a young, nubile woman, you could say, uh, whereas a fresa is a strawberry. And so, yes, it's these little details which make learning a language quite an interesting minefield of, of experiences. Anyway, yes, so I... I, I well, I, I know another one, but I don't know whether I should say it, but it is really, oh, oh, tell it. We can it's cut right it. up there. <laughs> we, we can cut it out. We can cut it out. If okay. it's, if it's <laughs> um, well, a, a friend of mine, one of my ex-colleagues when we used to work in, uh, in, when I used to work in Madrid, he'd gone to a restaurant and he had asked for polla. <laughs> Mm -hmm. He thought he was asking for chicken, yes, but actually did. he was asking for something else. Pollo, pollo is chicken, yes. <laughs> I don't know if you want to explain what pollo means. I'll let our readers look that up on, on, on Google. <laughs> yeah, let, let, them, let them do right. a search on that one. Right, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, getting back on track. I don't know whether our listener is thinking the same thing as I am at the moment as far as working, work placements and that sort of thing. But how does it work, Alicia? Because I, I know find, just finding a job for one person is a challenge. Uh, when you have to find work placements for a whole load of people, do you have some sort of godly power? Are you highly connected with managing directors or what? what how does it work? Well, um, you know, to be honest, since Brexit, I am, I am having to move more towards uh, offering uh, internships abroad, so internships in, in different countries. I am offering paid internships in the United States and looking at offering paid internships in Australia and in Canada, mainly in the hospitality sector 
but I can also in in the US I can offer many many different sectors and that is a, a really wonderful opportunity for uh, young people who are coming out of the you know who's done their degrees or masters and they want to obtain international experience for their CVs more and more companies in Spain are interested in profiles that have had an international uh, work experience because they feel that that candidate can actually bring you know knowledge and experience to the actual company here and they're very keen to learn you know from these individuals and and have those candidates you know implement their their knowledge in in these companies but yeah i mean i i basically have my contacts in other companies in other countries i i just reach out to companies I, I pick up the phone. I like to talk, so <laughs> it, it comes naturally to me. And you know, I, I really do feel passionate about you know youth unemployment in Spain, and I would love to be able to find even more solutions for unemployed youth. And you know, another side that I am trying to that I am developing is is also helping young kids to actually have an international experience by you know, doing an academic year abroad, which in, in the US or in Ireland or in the United Kingdom, which I think is an, a really fantastic way because for me, children are sponges. For me, it's very clear that they are interacting with other children who speak the language they are learning. They pick it up in no time. And I do think that that is the ideal way for children to learn, actually immersion. Well, but, sorry, uh, when you say children, what age are you talking about? <laughs> that that noise is my reminder that, that our quiz is it's time for the learnability quiz. Um, let, yeah, sorry, I wanted off. to say I wanted to say so children thought thirteen years plus, or even from eleven years of age. But I think for most parents, sending an eleven-year-old abroad is a little bit too young. So I would say thirteen plus. All right, so let's get on to our, the middle part of our program, which is our learnability quiz. Each In each session, I have three extremely difficult questions on the subject of the session. And in this case, what I've done is I, I went onto your website and the, the three countries that are actually featured that I saw where you did placements for is Ireland, which I suppose is the easiest one because it's still in the EU, fortunately, Canada and the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't notice anything about Australia and the United States, but maybe I didn't scroll down far enough. So what I did, I've, I've found you three questions based on those three countries. Okay. <laughs> Just researching these questions. It's, it's amazing what you learn. Um, I, I've discovered the things about Ireland, Canada, and the United Kingdom that I honestly didn't know. So this, this is we live and learn, don't we, Alithia? We live and learn. And for instance, with Ireland, there's all sorts of things. I, I recommend the, the listener, if, if he's interested, is simply just type in interesting facts about Ireland or Canada, or whatever. You get all sorts of stuff. In this case, your first question is something which is interesting, but also it's a real eye opener. This is stuff that I didn't know which I don't know if, if that's showing my ignorance here. The first question is, what approximately is the current population of Ireland? Oh, 
my goodness. <laughs> I have no idea. I would say probably 50 million. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's, I'm afraid you're nowhere near. Um, and this this is why I put the question in, because I was gobsmacked when, when I read this. I was gobsmacked for two reasons. The first thing is that the current population of Ireland is just 5 million. Five Ireland. Million. Ireland, yeah, no. the the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Um, Five million—that's that's, incredible. That's, that's less than Catalonia, right? Wow. What's even more interesting is that two hundred years ago, Ireland was a really, really well thriving. Yeah, yeah, and because was, a lot because of the potato famine, a lot went moved to uh, the states. Absolutely. It, and, I mean, how many moved to the States then? Right. Well, would you like, for, for a bonus point, do you want to try and guess what the population was before the Great Famine? And the, we're talking about the late 1840s. So late basically 1840s. about 200 years ago, what was the population of Ireland? I would say 20 million, put it. Okay, million? it it wasn't it wasn't as thriving as that. It was eight eight million eight point two eight point two million. I've got here, but considering this is two hundred years ago, you look at the population, of, for instance, of the United Kingdom two hundred years ago and what it is today. It's it's like it's it's rocketed, yeah. whereas Ireland has never really recovered from that. Well, I thought so that's a in one sense it's really sad but it also gives you an idea of the beauty of ireland that it's it's not become overpopulated in that sense yeah anyway all right all right so i'm afraid no points there then right but anyway <laughs> i'm sure you've got plenty of chance to, to get some some points on the next question right now canada you get onto the website canada, and canada is such an amazing country uh it's the second largest country in the world by physical area one of the f interesting facts about about Canada is that the coastline of Canada, if you got a rope and put it around the coastline of Canada, your your rope would have to be over two hundred thousand kilometers long. That's a piece of rope which would go twice around the Earth, and you'd still have quite a lot left over. So you know it, it's. Uh, uh, an amazing country. One of the things that I didn't know about Canada, I thought I did, but I've been proved wrong, is the question for you. What is Canada's national sport? Uh, Canada's national sport? That's a really good question. Lacrosse? Well done! <laughs> for, <laughs> for 10 points! <laughs> Are you kidding? No, seriously. I swear seriously. to God, I I just I must have read that somewhere. You must have. It was in your subconscious mind, Alicia, along yeah. with all of those account numbers that you saw. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I would have given it something like ice hockey, which is Canada's national winter sport. Yeah, because I, I was tempted to say ice hockey, but then I just decided, you know what, I, yeah. I it was just there somewhere. Brilliant. Well done. Well done. Now, let's get the third question, which is about England. And England, well, it's just a goldmine of stuff. Um, you know, such weird and wonderful facts and figures. Uh, did you know, for instance, that up until about the beginning of the 20th century, suicide in England was a crime 
punishable by death. No, I didn't know. That's silly. <laughs> I mean, well, it really is a no-win situation, isn't it? Well, then you still achieve your goal. <laughs> exactly. I, I do not, I, I just can't, can't grasp that. Along with, for instance, do you know that it is actually illegal, illegal to get drunk in a pub in the United Kingdom? Oh, well, I think <laughs> what happens then if they do? Because, I mean, that is the most normal thing in England. Yeah, I, I went to the UK just before Christmas last year. I was in a pub which theoretically was supposed to be socially distanced and the place was heaving. This was on a Friday night. It was heaving with extremely drunken people. <laughs> I, I tell you, the whole lot could have gone to the prison as far as I was concerned because it was not only was it really annoying but it was quite worrying as well in a socially in a country which is supposed to be so, still socially distancing no masks but we're talking about really really drunk people so drunk they were struggling to stand up that you know prison for the lot of them prison for the lot of them anyway right. <laughs> uh, according to the law of the United Kingdom I do not make the law yeah. I'm just pointing when out what it is. When did they make that law? I have no idea. I don't know. Probably about. That's probably going back a while, you know, since the eight, the the, the period when they would, you know, there was that uh, period when everybody would drink gins. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and and for, one of the things that I would like to know uh, as well about England is where where is the three hundred and fifty million pounds a week the Leave campaign said the country was going to save uh, by not having to give it to the National Health Service in the in the European well, Union. It, that's it that's what I want. That was yeah. a whole farce. It was... Yes, it, it was. I was watching the Brexit, a civil war last night and it, it got me so upset I, I i said i said to the wife i said i can't continue to watch this it just makes me so upset <laughs> but anyway but anyway fascinating thing no I, I tried to find something that i didn't know right so again the, the the question about england is actually this did you know and you you might say oh everybody knows this here but anyway i i didn't um but then again i'm an astrophysicist by trade so you know you, that doesn't help much um <laughs> England, did you know, and I didn't up until yesterday, did you know that English hasn't always been the official language of England? As you're a history expert, you might know the answer to this. Do you know when and for how long it wasn't English? Do I need to say what the language was? I'll tell you, it was French. Yeah, so the Normandy invasion was 1066. But then when that changed to English, well, I would imagine, I really, I couldn't actually tell you what that date was. <laughs> but I would imagine that it was with the Normandy invasion and uh, the bat, you know, battle, um, 1066. It, it is. I can give you five points for 1066. It was. That's when it started. Go on, have a stab in the dark about how long uh, French continued to be an official language of England uh, until they just gave it up as a bad job. I would say probably uh, until James the First uh, Bible. Probably it would be around that time. Um, but I, it, I'm, I'm struggling to remember when he came. He came to the throne, so uh, I can't say, but I would reckon that it was probably around that time when James I published the first English Bible. 
I'm afraid I don't have the date for James the first. Uh, go on, stab in the dark. Give us a year. Mm. 17, 17, 20, something like that. 1730. No. I'm, af- I'm afraid I can't give you that, Alicia. Um, it's, it's not as much. It was, it was 1362. 1362, right. Which nevertheless is still 300 years. Yeah. But England officially spoke French, which we are not taught at school. Well, I mean, the thing is that all the words that we have in English, like, for example, interest, interest, interessant, um, a lot of the Gerund words that we have in English are actually French origin. And when we start learning Spanish, we start to realise that there's a link with these words. And, yeah, it definitely helps with the learning of of those words when you start learning Latin-based languages. One of the interesting things is that that the if if I'm correct, for instance, with with food, the when we talk about cuisine, which yes. in itself is a French-based word, we refer to animals in the French term. But when we talk about the animal on the farm, we use the Anglo-Saxon word. So you have cow, but then when you eat it, it becomes beef. Yes, and pork. Uh, and yeah, pig. So, so pork is actually a French origin. Yeah, and you have chicken, and you have poultry. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that, have... I always foreigners always trip up with that when they try and talk about food. They always have a problem with that because it's it's quite unique, isn't it? It is. It it makes English such a wonderfully impossible, <laughs> illogical language to learn. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, who who said that life should be easy? Exactly. Right. Now, uh, so let's get get back to placing people who come to you and say, I would like to go to somewhere to learn English or somewhere to learn Spanish. So I'm, I'm a, a company director. I, I have my own company. When I recruit people, I'm interested in knowing who they are, giving them an interview, making sure that they're the right person for the job. But I would imagine that in your case, it's just not feasible to organise an interview for somebody to to apply for a job. So is it just you say, I will vouchsafe for these people, they're fine and you can employ them and there won't be a problem? Or how does that work? Well, I mean, um, I've been very lucky. To be honest, I'm one of the biggest fans of, you know, young Spanish people. I really do admire their, you know, the way that they manage these situations. And um, so, yeah, I mean, basically I interview them first. I get to find out a little bit about them. I get to find out how they are, you know, personality-wise. And depending on the job or the placement, I do try and find out if they are hands-on, you know, happy-to-do-everything kind of person. Because if they're not, then they will probably find it not a a great experience um if that's for the working side of things and then obviously for the placements then it's more specific the type of placement they're going to be doing i always try to get to understand what their needs are and what they are looking to uh, achieve and then once i've got a good picture on that then i can find the the work placement or the job that really fits that suits them 
the best. Obviously, with work placements, mainly the positions that I am offering are actually in the hospitality sector where there is the biggest demand. Um, but with placements, obviously, uh, I can offer a lot more variety for the candidates. When you say the hospitality sector, what sort of jobs are you talking about? Um, well, uh, managerial positions, um, superv- supervisory positions, um, positions basically, you know, hands-on sort of uh, catering assistance or, for example, working in hotels, sort of anything to do with the hospitality sector, chefs, cooks, you know, basically everything that a hotel would need or a fast food restaurant or a restaurant would need uh, that type of profile, basically. When people go on these work placements then or internships or, or whatever, do you give any advice to how to make the most of their time there and how to learn the most? Well, as far as their English is concerned, I try to tell them to keep away from any Spanish people. <laughs> if they can do that, they will make huge progress. Um, but uh, it, it tends to be a real temptation when you go, especially if your level of English is low. I mean, I can speak from personal experience. When I went to my school in Salamanca to learn Spanish, while well, I was partying left, right and centre, had the best time ever. But I was spending all my time with foreigners uh, who were there to learn Spanish, who wanted to practice their English with me. So <laughs> I spent the first three months throwing my money to <laughs> the wind, <laughs> just having a really good time and speaking English. And I didn't really make too much progress with the Spanish. So I'm talking from really from firsthand experience of this. It is really important if when you go on these experiences if you can really try and integrate with the natives <laughs> not so much with your own kind <laughs> I mean the accommodation situation do you find accommodation for them as well or does is that the company how does that work yeah no I've I'll always just treat others the way you would like to be treated because the thing is when I came to Spain I would have loved to have had a program like this where I could just walk into a job and, and learn Spanish um, I would have absolutely have loved have that kind of thing set up for me when I came to Spain because I I would have not spent as much money as I had. It would have been a great thing for me to have and that's why I have really gone over and above to find, you know, programs whereby the candidate has uh, the job and they have the accommodation. So it's just buy a flight, arrive, start working, start your English classes or, you know, you just start working if, if you don't have the means to pay for English classes. Would you say that the people that benefit most from your service are a particular type of person? I mean, can you have a, an interview with somebody and you think, ah, this person is not going to cope with what we're offering? Well, like I said earlier, I really do think that they need to be open-minded. They have to be willing to do everything in the sense that you know I would always ask them if the boss asks you to clean the floor clean the table 
what you know how would you feel about that um you know i've even sent people to work because their level of english was so low i sent them to work as um housekeepers so they would be working cleaning the the rooms of the hotels but at least they're in an environment where if, as soon as they leave that job everything around them is in english and that is a much better place to be the majority of my clients that come to me they've been studying english for years but when they open their mouths and they have to speak english they they struggle to put together a sentence or they have b1 level english the majority of my candidates have b1 level english but what they really struggle with is is actually being able to feel confident feel com- comfortable actually speaking english so you know they can get by a very short interview in english um but what they really need is is to be in an in- environment where everything around them is is english it's spoken um and this way they they really progress very very quickly because as we already mentioned about the subconscious all the years that they've been learning english it's there it's in their brains it's 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 just waiting for an opportunity to present itself where they can actually get all that knowledge out and what happens is that when i do send them on these uh, work programs they they very very quickly it's like ding oh yeah i remember that word and you know everything that they have learned it's not wasted because they've actually then got this opportunity where they've got the platform that they haven't had before where they can actually just get those words out just start using that vocabulary and all of a sudden everything just comes together very very quickly within you know 3 to 6 months um they tell me my god alicia my english has come on so well you know and all these years before they just couldn't understand they thought there was something wrong with them but there's nothing wrong with them they've just not had that platform to express themselves and and really use the english and and that's basically what i have been trying to to offer and and convince these young people that it's nothing wrong with them at all all they need is is a practical real platform where they can use their english and and just get that spoken english into the outside <laughs> basically you've spoken about placing people from spain in english speaking countries like in the united kingdom ireland canada etc what about people who are interested in improving their spanish yeah again it's the same uh service um unfortunately uh, i can't actually offer work placements in uh spain um mainly obviously if you're british and you want to come to work in spain or if you are um american you know there are these these difficulties um but what i do offer is just spanish uh, classes so if there if you're from abroad and you want to learn spanish uh, i can send you a quote and i can send you information regarding the different accommodation options so really i just offer spanish programs i do have for example one program where you can work as an au pair and you'll be living with the family and uh, learning spanish but that that's just sort of one program along those lines there is a possibility to do internships in spain 
However, I haven't really received much interest in that as the internships are not paid. So yeah, to be honest, really, the, what I do offer is to learn Spanish and have a really exciting, wonderful experience in an absolutely fantastic country with really great food. <laughs> so you're talking about immersive learning. You're talking yes. about people come here, they study it, they live it, they learn it. I'm all about immersion for, for learning because I just think it's, it's the fastest, the quickest, the most enjoyable route to learn a language. And I really think that anywhere else, you know, learning a language in your home country is, for me, it's hard work. And, you know, if you really are serious about learning a language, get on the soil where that language is spoken and, and just have fun. I, I, th I really believe that if you laugh, you will learn so much quicker and faster. And I find that, you know, when, when you're in the country and you're learning the language well, you just, it's a laugh a minute, basically. <laughs> I think it's very important to, to come along with or to bring along with you the attitude that you don't have to get it perfect. Definitely. That, that making mistake is part of the process. I, I've got a friend who came to Barcelona a few years ago and she studied Spanish for two years doing classes and then in the end she gave it up because after two years she was still incapable of having a basic conversation in Spanish and her problem was she wouldn't say anything unless she was 100% sure that it would be right which means that during social interactions, she basically spent most of her time listening rather yeah. than speaking. And right. what, she, what she actually learned was how to stay silent in a social environment. And it, she got really frustrated, but it was because she, she was just terrified of making a mistake. Yeah, I, I went through that same experience when I started learning Spanish in Salamanca. And um, I, I then realized that this was my biggest hurdle and then I actually found intercambio so uh, exchanges so I would actually meet with an exchange practically I think I had five exchanges <laughs> and I would meet with them you know each day for half an hour I would speak uh, English with them and then they would speak Spanish with me and this was really when my Spanish really came along um, when I realized that yeah I needed to get over that that hurdle um, which is really the, the biggest challenge when you're learning a language is that actually just letting your hair down, not being worried about making mistakes, just speaking so that someone can understand you. That is so much more important when learning a language than anything else. A lot of the talks that I do about learning skills are in language schools for, for adults. Uh, especially there's there's a set of schools called the Escuela Oficial de Idiomas, which I visit many of them. And one of the things that I, I point out is that, as you say, one of the best ways to learn how to have conversations is to have a language exchange partner where you meet up and you speak 50% in your language and 50% in the language that you're yeah. choosing to learn. And I, I say, you know, to, to a group of 50, 50 people, how many of you have got a language exchange partner? And about one or two will put their hands up and th these are students who who can speak in english they're b1 b2 students and i say well why don't you have a language exchange partner 
and their usual answer once we've got past the business of oh we don't have time or you know various pathetic excuses the main reason is that they don't feel that their level of conversational language is good enough and really it's like saying i'm not going to practice riding a bicycle until i can ride a bicycle and then i will ride a bicycle silly yeah totally you're putting the horse before the cart. The reason for having these exchanges is to practice learning a language. Make as many mistakes as you want, uh, and it's a, a safe environment. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and um, it, it definitely worked for me when I was learning Spanish. And, you know, it, it's just the way you have to go. You have to get intercambios. You have to get speaking the language because languages are to be spoken. How many languages do you speak, Alicia? Um, well, I speak English, I speak Spanish, and now I'm learning Catalan. And do you have... I mean, I've been learning Catalan for a while now. I can speak it well. I love to read books in Catalan, um, but I would like to improve uh, my Catalan. Do you have a Catalan intercambio? Yes, my boyfriend. <laughs> but uh, he prefers to speak English. Yeah, I find partners. I, I went through the same thing I, when I when I was studying Catalan. My wife, who who speaks Catalan perfectly, I said, "Can you please talk to me in Catalan?" And and she basically said, "No." <laughs> she, said, I, I, she says, "I can't. It just feels too weird." No, we we speak oh, in Spanish yeah. or English, but not not Catalan. Yeah, and do you speak Catalan now or? I did an intensive session. In, in fact, one of my books called Learning a Language, I used Catalan as a, as a test to how to most efficiently learn a language. I went through all the, the websites of the learning language gurus who are enthusiasts about learning a language. And because I'm not an enthusiast about learning a language, in fact, like, uh, English and Spanish were two of my worst subjects at school. Uh -huh. I thought, well, how, if you're not interested in learning a language, how can you do it best? Basically, I spent six months, and I, in that six months, I learned two years' worth of Catalan, which wow. uh, impressed That's myself. Yeah. yeah. So, but since then, I haven't really practiced it. And so I recognize that my fluency uh, has gone down. Abashatunamika has gone down. A little yeah, bit. Yeah. So, but, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very, um, my whole learning thing I notice with languages is that I need to get to that level where I can read. As soon as I can get to the level where I can read, I'm very visual. So I can see the words and that, that helps me to memorize the vocabulary, the words. And I find that reading is probably, uh, it's, it's underestimated in language learning because when you read, at least for me, being a visual person, seeing those words, it, it sticks in my brain. And then I can be having a conversation with someone and that word just pops out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh my God, where did that word come from? And then later on, I would go back to the dictionary and check it or, or check online. And I would see that that word was absolutely perfect for the conversation that I had used that word in. And I'm always amazed. Um, I think that uh, there's a, a lot that goes on with subconscious learning um, when we are learning languages. And I really think that even... When I was starting to learn Spanish, I used to have one of those old radios where I would put the time 
and it would come on and the radio would be going on in Spanish an hour before I got out of bed. And so I would just be listening half asleep to this Spanish. And I was amazed that actually at the beginning it was like, blah, 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 blah. didn't understand the word. Then a few weeks later, yeah, I could understand, you know, this word. I could understand then a few weeks later, I could understand, you know, a sentence. And I was absolutely amazed at how such a simple little thing like that could actually really make you move, you know, you, you learn so much just from a very simple thing. Do you have any concrete tips or tricks to help to learn a, a second language? I, I really recommend if you're going to learn a second language. I mean, what I say to the Spanish uh, kids who contact me, I say if they can't, if they're not able to do an interview because they can't put together a spoken sentence. So then what I would say to them is please uh, listen to BBC Radio 4, watch Netflix in version original, in, in the original version. I would say to them to read, even if it's just a small article, each day, just read something in the language you're learning. And also, if they can find an exchange or somebody who they can practice speaking English or, or Spanish with, then I always try and, and tell them that this is really, really important. One of the things that I'm fascinated by at the moment is self-directed learning. And that's how we now, with the internet, etc., we have so many opportunities to learn stuff on our own instead of having to enroll in a, you know, a three-year course or a one-year course or whatever. Do you have any particular way of studying that works for you? Um, well, just coming back to that, actually, can I, if you mind, if I just step back a little bit from what you were mentioning, because one of the new things, obviously, with Brexit, it made me sort of open my eyes and see what kind of opportunities there are out there for learning. Um, with uh, the high unemployment in Spain, I was always chronically aware that the majority of the candidates I was sending were candidates that wanted to leave Spain or wanted to have an international experience. So I was always aware that there were young people who wanted to stay at home, wanted to be with their families and, and didn't want to do this kind of international experience. Um, so what I have always been looking for is, is something that I could help young people with uh, and I was lucky to come across a program called AWS Restart, which is um, Amazon Web Services Restart program. And what I reached out to them and I said to them, you know, this is a perfect fit for everything that I'm doing, everything that I stand for. Um, and what I have done and just recently completed in December was a program where I'm helping young people people in Spain to learn the cloud. Um, so they have been uh, doing this intensive course, it's online, but with a, a real life uh, teacher, uh, teaching them, answering their questions. And um, I have 30 students who have passed the exam. They are now qualified AWS cloud practitioners. For people who were born BC, uh, before computers. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, well, uh, more and more companies uh, have 
tons of data, they have lots of information and to have everything stuck on a physical server is costly. So more and more companies are putting their information in the cloud. So what I'm trying to do and what I would love to, to do more of is offer young people the opportunity to get into that technology space and the salaries in that sector is very good. It's very, it's obviously an area that is in demand and that is growing. So if I can help these unemployed uh, young people to move into that sector, then they would actually have a, a more secure future. If a listener could help you, is there any particular thing that they could do to, to help you achieve this? Well, right now, um, I've got my qualified candidates who've recently qualified with the AWS Cloud uh, Practitioner uh, Certificate from Amazon Web Services. And I would love to have company directors reach out to me if they are looking for a candidate um, with knowledge of the cloud. And if they are interested in recruiting my candidates, I would be very happy to speak with them and, and help them to place these candidates in their companies. I'm afraid we're running out of time. If our listener is interested in learning a bit more about what you do, the services you offer, where can they find you? Uh, they can reach me on at my email. It's alicia at learnworkexplore.com. And do you have a website? Yes, it's www.learnworkexplore.com. I will leave information in the notes of this episode so they can get those details. Yes. Okay. Alicia, I'm afraid we have definitely run out of time. I'm not sure how I'm going to edit this down to 45 minutes. Uh, it looks like it'll be a, a little bit longer episode than normal. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I needed to warn you that I like to talk. <laughs> Maybe you, you can um, hit question one and three. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun uh, and it's always good to learn new things so it is we live and learn we yeah. live and learn all right so alicia i wish you all the best yes. thank, thank you, you very much, much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.